Have you ever wondered how we came up with the name Generations Community Church? Some of you who are newer might be thinking, well, that's a strange name. You won't find another Generations Community Church in all of Greater Lexington, I promise. Um, there are a gazillion Christian churches, by the way, and Christian, our Christian church friend, brothers and sisters, love to do points of the compass, northeast, southeast, south, like they love the points of the compass. But Generations is the only Generations here in Greater Lexington. Now, when we launched in 2004, we were the only Generations Community Church in the entire country, but that's changed. Um, if you see a logo, by the way, that you like better, just pull me aside, right? <laughs> Here's just a smattering of the generations churches and generations community churches that are now springing up all across the country. There's one in Canton, Georgia, San Diego, California, Greeley, Colorado, Marysville, Washington, New York City, New York, Trinity, Florida, Southport, North Carolina, Independence, Kentucky, and the one there is also neck deep in their food pantry, as coincidence would have it, in Cleveland, Ohio. Maybe someone should tell the trains that, okay? So there's, there's all of these generations' churches that have sprung up, and it's based out of Psalm 78, okay? And I want to read this to you. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I'll speak to you in a parable. I'll teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we've heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We won't hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob and gave instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. Even children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God. So each generation might set its hope anew on God. Our church name actually comes from one of our values, and you'll find it on the back wall here in the sanctuary. Take your faith home with you. Take your faith home with you. I believe it takes church and home working together to kind of even have a hope and a prayer <laughs> of passing on faith to the next generation. Take your faith home with you. In other words, faith isn't just a Sunday thing. It isn't just the, the 60 minutes here on Sunday morning thing. Faith is an everyday thing. It's a work thing. It's a school thing. It's a life thing. And it's supposed to be that way. Our Jewish ancestors in the faith, the Hebrews, the Jews, understood that. Um, God wants it to be that way. They literally wore their faith on their bodies and pounded it into the sides of their homes. I don't know if you know about this, but uh, Jews wore phylacteries, the most righteous and pious among them. In this photograph on the screen, it's the large box protruding from the guy's forehead. Imagine walking around with a phylactery on your forehead. They also have another way of tying it onto the right arm in leather straps that go all the way around, and then there's a, something that's on one of your fingers, and it's hidden in the pouch on your fingers. Um, and then the other is this mezuzah that's outside every Jewish home to this day. It's a little crooked. And inside of those uh, black leather boxes are these scriptures from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, if you've been to other people's homes in the South, you've probably seen the Christian version of that kind of stuff. Maybe some of you have that in your own home. I'm not judging. It's okay. 
Hobby Lobby has locations all across the United States. But you might find words like faith or pray or be still and know that I am God. That's in the home of a mom with four boys. That's where that, that's where that thing is hanging. And, and so in this sense, we're not all that different from our Jewish cousins. The main difference, though, is that for many American churchgoers, for many years, we've just assumed that if we show up to church a couple of times a month with our kids, that somehow our kids will develop a vibrant, lifelong faith. And it just doesn't work out that way. It doesn't work that way anymore. It takes church and home working together to actually pass on faith to the next generation. These phylacteries, these mezuzo, these uh, bumper stickers, the fish that we put on the back of our cars are attempts to kind of embody faith that can lead into Phariseeism, but they're all rooted in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to walk through this passage with you, okay? So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll chunk it out a verse at a time. By the way, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes this passage. This is what he quotes in response to that question. You want to know the one thing? Bam, here it is. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So Deuteronomy 6 chapter uh, verses 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey his decrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. Moses, in a sense, is saying on behalf of God, hey, this isn't just about you. It's about your kids and your grandkids. It's about all of our kids and grandkids together. And so Moses is actually saying this on the cusp of them entering the promised land. And he knows he's not going to be able to enter with them. And he knows he's about to go meet his maker. And so there's an urgency in what he's saying. If you've been around people who know their time is short, they will grab you by the arm and they will say, listen, listen to me, this is important. And then they want to say something to you because they know their time is short. And Moses has that sense of urgency in this passage. And so he continues on, listen, listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you'll have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. This land flowing with milk and honey means that they're going to have to be careful. Isn't that interesting? You're going to have prosperity. You're going to have everything you need, which means you need to be careful. See, many people in America think that the danger to faith for the next generation in America is like progressive liberalism or something like that. No, it's prosperity. Prosperity and comfort is one of the greatest threats to vibrant faith in the United States today. Moses articulates this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he keeps going, listen, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. God's it. He's our God. And so since God is our God, that's the next couple of verses. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, if you were to just kind of take this cosmic, all-powerful being that made everything that is out of nothing and then tell people they ought to do something in relationship to that being, you probably would come up with obey the being. 
He made everything. He's the big boss. Do what he says. How many would say love that being? Like you would pull that out of a hat. And yet this is the first time in the Old Testament we're told love God. Your response is to love God. Love God. This entire passage, by the way, is referred to as the Shema. And it's that verse I just read to you, chapter uh, verse 3. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elchenu Adonai Echad. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Jews say it twice a day. Twice a day. Once in the morning, once in the evening. Shema Yisrael. So if you're saying something twice a day, would you think it's important? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. It is important. It is important. And so Moses continues. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Committing ourselves wholeheartedly. It, it really is a relationship. If all we pass down to our kids is a bunch of rules, do this, don't do that, nobody dies for a rule, do they? But when you hear that somebody's laid down their life for something, it's usually out of relationship, it's out of love, right? And so... There's this wholehearted commitment that God is calling for and that Moses is voicing on God's behalf. And then the kicker is verse 7, okay? And this is where he says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads. That's where they got this idea. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, this is where they got that idea. <laughs> now, does God mean literally plunk this thing on your forehead? Or is he saying, have this be foremost in your mind? Have this be in your heart? You have to figure that out for yourself, <laughs> okay? But I think God is, is speaking to the fact that faith, our relationship with him is an everyday thing when you lie down, when you're traveling along the road, right? This isn't when you go to the temple, when you're celebrating Passover. He's articulating everyday normal things. That's where faith is at home. A few weeks ago, um, we had candles everywhere. I love the fact that several of the kids, mom, dad, why are there candles in church today? What are all these candles for? What's going on? Something was different. I hope to have more things like that in the months ahead so that it'll prompt those things. By the way, a lot of the Jewish festivals that were celebrated were by design to cause kids to go, Mom, Dad, why are you putting blood around the doorposts of the thing? Mom, Dad, why are we going to Jerusalem again? Mom, Dad, why are all these tents out here? Mom, Dad, it was an attempt to get families talking about what God had done and how good God was, and how you could trust God no matter what. So in light of the fact that faith is supposed to be an everyday thing, I'd like to ask a couple of questions. And the first question is simply this. What role does faith play in your life outside these walls? Your calendar, your checkbook, your debit card, your decisions, what you're doing with your spare time, what role does faith play outside these walls, sacred as they are, in the shopping plaza. And then secondly, so could someone accuse you of being a lover of God? As in, man, they just love God. It's just evident. 
So again, in light of Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to make a few suggestions about how we could live this out and how we could live out this value. And first, I need to talk to adults. Um, adults, I would strongly ask and beg and implore and plead and exhort and cajole and do everything I could to get you to move from just a tender to stakeholder. A tender to stakeholder so that you are serving and doing something here. And in 2022 and beyond, joining a group or a class or some kind of gathering of people. Because the whole me and the Lord thing that Americans like to do, well, it's just me and the Lord. Faith is a private thing. <coughs> Scripture says, <coughs> okay. It takes all of us. And there's something about serving and being knitted together that makes a huge difference. And the second thing adults I would ask and implore and beg and plead and cajole is to show up for someone else. Just show up for someone else. The video that we just watched about being the light, you can be the light for somebody else. Uh, when I was in high school, I was on the struggle bus big time with my faith. Uh, I was a straight-A student, president of the National Honor Society, drum major in the band. Supposedly, I had it together, but I was really struggling with some things about God. And it was my cousin, Mike, who showed up in my life. He was four years older than me. So I was a freshman when he was a senior. He was everything I wasn't. He was athletic. He was svelte. He was a football team, basketball team, track team. Can you even do that? Like, that's insane. Okay, he had the girlfriend. His girlfriend was captain of the cheerleading squad. And Mike just grabbed me and started taking me to church with him grabbed me and started taking me to church with him and gave me a place with his pastor where I could ask some of the questions that I had because I had family stuff and other stuff and then there was all the stuff I had heard about God and I was like, I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure about that. And Mike showed up for me and gave me a spot to do that. So show up for somebody. And here's the kicker. If, you, if somebody comes to mind in the church family or, or even outside the church family, if somebody comes to mind and they're coming to mind a lot for you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Just message them. It'll be awkward. It's okay. Embrace the awkward, but reach out, message them, text them, call them, okay? Parents, if I could talk to you for a moment. By age nine, most kids have their worldview formed by age nine. And here's the other thing. Church, as much as I want church to be a greater influence than it is, church has gone drop down to third tier influence. So first tier influence for teenagers and students are media and parents. Here's the good news. Parents, you're still a top tier influencer. Here's the bad news. You're just as influential as your kids' screens. Second tier influence are things like peers in school. Third tier influence are things like extended family, grandma, grandpa, and church, okay? Make a decision today to become your child's spiritual coach. Make a decision today to become your child's spiritual coach, that you will coach them in the ways of faith. And you don't have it all figured out, just like if you got stuck, you know, and you got voluntold you were going to be the coach of the soccer team and you never kicked a soccer ball in your life and you had to show up on the field and all those kids were like, what do we do, coach? Uh, kick the ball. Like, <laughs> you know. Make the decision. I know many of you have already done that. It does my heart good when I hear stories. Uh, I was talking with Josh Lear recently about some of, the story, some of the ways he's talking to Elena, right? So like, this is good. 
embrace and lean into the fact that you're your kid's spiritual coach. And then if I could talk to some of you teenagers and students for a moment. Bye, students. So there's this weird dynamic in America where we're so safety conscious and everything else that we don't let you do anything. And, and now it's like you're not even driving until you're age 30. And it's just this weird thing in America, okay? And so I, I, I want you to know that here in this church, if you're in high school, you can be part of the large events teams and plan events. You can run sound. You can sing. I'll let you preach on any given Sunday. Like, you know, we'll talk about it, but there's nothing you can't do in this congregation if you're in high school. Nothing, okay? You can do anything an adult can do. And so I want to ask you to consider whether it's here or at the food pantry or somewhere else, just serving and giving of yourself. Um, our country needs that. America's on the struggle bus right now. I don't know if you know. Maybe, maybe you hear mom and dad grouse about it a lot. Here's what's wrong with America, right? You know, it's a thing. But serving could do so much for that, okay? So those are just some things in light of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And again, taking your faith home with you just means it's an everyday thing and not just a Sunday thing. And the reason this is important for me as a pastor is because I look at the data. So I'm a data geek. I follow the trends. I have all the Barna reports. I have all the Gallup poll stuff information. And I, you know, the census data. Here's the thing. By 2050, church attendance in America will be less than 1 in 10. Less than 1 in 10 Americans will do anything with an organized church or synagogue by the year 2050 in any given week. Okay? And I'm also convinced that what we do here, third-way Christianity. So uh, white Christians in America are segregating themselves right now into red churches and blue churches because political ideology is becoming the most important thing about us uh, as a cultural expression of identity. I don't think that's biblical, but it's just how things are shaking out. And so third-way Christians that aren't necessarily clearly red or clearly blue and are trying to follow Jesus, in the next 20 years, you're going to be looked at the way we tend to look at Mormons and Amish people. They're going to go, oh, you're one of those. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> Do you have special underwear? Like, they're going to have questions. They're going to have questions because you're going to be weird, okay? Here's why this is important. The grandparents see this, by the way. Grandparents see this shift, and they feel it for their grandkids. They do. Uh, prior to the COVID thing, I don't know if you heard about that, but prior to the COVID thing, in 2019, there were grandparent conferences, legacy of faith conferences all over the United States, California, New York, Texas. You could go into a stadium like 5,000 grandparents there with, you know, Josh McDowell coming up. I'm going to tell you how you can pass on faith to your grandkids because I know you're panicked about it. And, you know, grandparents would pay primo dollars to go to these conferences. In the Chamber of Commerce, when somebody pulls me aside and asks me to pray, the number one prayer request I get, is from grandparents about their grandchildren. Max, will you pray for my grandkids? They live in Georgia. My kids don't go to church anymore. And I'm just, I want my kids to love God. I want my kids to see things as they are. Like, would you pray? Okay? This is important. It's going to take all of us together to do this. It is. But we can do this. So let me end with the, one of the questions that I posed. 
and it's a place to start for all of us. What role does your faith play outside these walls? And what's one thing that you could do differently this week that would have that faith pop up in a place that's not here during these 60 minutes? Maybe you could start there with that one thing. I'm going to invite our musicians to come up, and I want to pray for us as a congregation. Lord, there are a lot of the world's problems that I just feel overwhelmed, and I go, help! This is one of those. I look at all the trends. I look at the dynamics. I look at the demographics. I look at church attendance patterns and engagement patterns and everything else, and I, I do the beaker thing. You know, I feel like my hair's on fire. But I also know that I'm standing on someone else's shoulders. I'm here because there were other people who showed up in my life. And I know that you've prompted me to show up in pe other people's lives. And so every single one of us can show up for someone else. So Father, help us to be open, open to our high school students, serving, doing things, telling us how to do things, which probably means new ideas. But Father, help us in our homes to just talk about the kind of faith things that are sometimes awkward, but just having those conversations with our kids as they grow in, in, in age-appropriate ways so that faith is, isn't just something that we hop in the car and, and go to church to get. We ask for your help. We ask for your guidance. And we would love to see this nation filled with people who love you and who love people who live out the Shema because they have been transformed by, on the inside out from Jesus, by Jesus Christ. We would love to see that. In all of these things, we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.